Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Mike Minier, CIO at Lehigh Valley Health Network. In part one, Minier talks about how the organization is expanding to better serve its population, especially in rural areas. Why he believes it should be patients and not providers driving telehealth forward, and the critical role that having an integrated EHR played when expanding virtual care. We'll get to our interview in a moment, but first, a brief word from our sponsor. At CrowdStrike, we stop breaches, and since threat actors often show up with legitimate credentials, stopping them can be tough, especially if your Active Directory hygiene has been less than perfect. But you can secure Active Directory now and clean up later. Find out more about identity protection and AD hardening at CrowdStrike.com healthcare. Just starting off, most people are familiar with Lehigh Valley Network, Lehigh Valley Health Network, sorry. Your nine hospital system in eastern Pennsylvania. About the gist of it, right? So we're, we're now 10 hospitals. Oh, okay. We're, we're generally in eastern Pennsylvania, you know, north of Philadelphia and north into the Poconos and kind of going into uh, Scranton, Dixon City area with a lot of building. We're physically building two new hospitals and planning to build with partnerships six additional hospitals. So we're growing very rapidly. In addition to our hospitals, we have well over 3 million ambulatory encounters a year. We have a large reference lab business that serves other uh, health providers and a whole bunch of other things. So we're, we're about $3.7 billion in revenues. So that's, that's interesting that you guys are expanding so quickly. I mean, it, it's not what we're hearing everywhere. So is this part of like the, the organization's long-term strategy? Yeah, we... We are growing because we feel there are parts of our market that are underserved and we would better serve our overall patient population by having additional locations. And it's probably important to note when we say new hospitals, these are not the big box, super big hospitals of the past. These are more an ED with a smaller set of surgery capability and smaller inpatient rooms because we give predominantly ambulatory care. And so yeah. it's really trying to fit, you know, more of a modern definition of a hospital, fairly small, but really integrated with our ambulatory care and our ambulatory surgeries and um, targeted, very targeted geographic areas. So it's really kind of a continuation of our ambulatory care, but not in the traditional way you think of, you know, many hospitals. Right, right. You're talking about underserved areas. So I imagine that that's Rural areas of, of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's interesting what you said about these aren't the uh, typical big box hospitals because there, there is still a need for it. But as you said, it, it's set up differently. And uh, it seems like that's really reflective of what we've been seeing the past few years. Yeah. And obviously, we have an integrated EPIC EHR. So when a patient comes to one of these hospitals or an ambulatory care site, whatever, We're managing them under the continuum of care. Some of the things we've done in our new hospital and our new hospitals we're building is not only we have large televisions where we provide programming, but the television is linked to a high definition of camera. So in every patient room and every exam room in the ED, we can do a tele-video encounter. It's very high def for the patient, very high def for the remote provider. And especially as we have these facilities in rural areas, you know, we can't have 
a cardiologist, an orthopod, you know, an oncologist, so to speak, at all these locations. So yeah. if a patient comes in and quickly it's determined they need a cardiology consult, we can do that digitally very quickly. And uh, it's all in the same EHR and so on. And so, you know, those are some of the examples of how, you know, these new facilities are really fitting into our continuum of care, leveraging our common EHR. Right. And before COVID hit, obviously you already had Epic in place, but from a digital standpoint, was it something where you, there already were plans in place for things like remote and, and telehealth, or how did that work for your organization? Huh. Well, it was actually one of the most interesting things of the pandemic from the tech perspective is that we did a lot of telehealth we have for 15 years, but it was really more provider-based, not mm-hmm. you know traditional provider to patient. And a lot of reason is in Pennsylvania, we had got paid for those digital encounters. We did have a full digital uh, infrastructure implemented with Epic. We could do a video encounter, but we were very little using it, almost barely using it. And so with the exception of expanding one license seat count, we didn't have to do anything new for a massive growth of digital encounters because of the pandemic. And in about a 10-week period in April of 2020, when we really had to start shutting clinics back then, we went from essentially no televideo or you know video encounters in Epic to about 60 plus percent of all of our ambulatory encounters, well over 3 million, were being done digitally, either in video, in phone, or um, with a synchronous e-visit. And mm-hmm. the bulk were video visits, and the payers started paying full price for those video visits, which was very helpful for us in those yeah. days. But we were ready. It's just that, you know, the payment and everything else kind of clicked into place and we went. Even some of our psychiatric visits, yep. upper 90% were being done digital. Now we've dropped back like everybody. So we're probably more in the 12 to 15% of our encounters being done with video. And that's probably where we're going to stay. Although now that we've learned, our patients have learned, our providers and care teams have learned. We do think that some encounters are done just fine, if not even better. So we are trying to move a little bit higher than the 12 to 15 percent. But obviously, mm-hmm. for the encounters, we think that are appropriate and, and make sense. Right. So I imagine that that was a really key factor in, in being able to get this moving so fast that you had that foundation in place. Oh, yeah. I was very grateful we had it in place. You know, we had pretty high. We, we had a secure text in place. We had a lot of VPN and, and email in place, obviously. So even though we sent over 3,000 employees to work at home during that same rough time, our teams were working seven days a week, 10, 15-hour days, easy. But we had a lot of the things in place. It was more converting and training and support. We didn't have to go out and deploy new things, and we're very grateful at that point. We didn't have to. Yeah, I'm sure. As far as going forward, Obviously, there are concerns about you know, reimbursement, but you mentioned maybe going above that 12 to 15 percent. Is that something that's been a focus for a little while, how we keep this going, keep the strategy going post-COVID? Yeah, I, I think many patients, and, and I would say even providers, but you know, patients really should drive this in our mind. Patients are saying, why do I have to drive in, take time off work, you know, go to an exam room? go to a waiting room and all that kind of stuff. It's so much easier to do it in my office or living room or wherever. And we would agree. So 
it's just better for some things to be done remotely. We also had a fairly extensive remote patient monitoring system in place that we highly expanded around COVID and we're adding a whole lot of other diagnosis. And in this case, we have a kit that's customized for each patient's diagnosis, but we have a kit of devices like blood pressure monitor, digital scales, you know, whatever the uh, need is that we either deliver or give to a patient when they're still in the hospital and they take it home. They do these testing using our Epic Myo VHN or MyChart and um, those tests come in off these consumer digital devices. We put in a, a cellular modem for the patient and this is not charged to them. And so once they take a, a reading off one of these devices in about eight seconds, it's an Epic. And then we have a call center of registered nurses that manage the inflow of data. And then they manage the patient in some areas or because it's all an Epic, they'll you know, work with the primary care provider or the discharge physician to make sure that the patient is cared for. So we had that in place also, and it expanded a lot. We you know, had variations of those testing devices just for COVID. And then mm-hmm. at the height of COVID last year, around late December, when we're having this holiday surge, we added what we call at home, which is in our terminology, just more advanced or more, more serious conditions for a patient. And so we added the ability for uh, pop-ups in Epic. You have a, uh, a COVID patient in the ED, your physician is deciding if they should admit them, send them home, whatever. And so we gave them a third home, send them home with testing devices. And mm-hmm. so when we sent those COVID patients at home instead of uh, admitting them, and that was key because in that December timeframe, we didn't have hospital beds empty. We sent them home devices. We follow up with a video visit by a specific physician specialist. We have home nurses also using Epic, and we have that call center. So we just give them more services as they're more acute. And that was more of a continuum for us. We didn't have to start it from scratch. We're just adding services and um, testing uh, procedures, alerts in Epic for more ill patients, you might say. Okay. Being able to do that, things like optimization have been a priority for the organization, you know, really making it so that you can implement things like this quickly. So yet optimization had really been a priority when it comes to uh, Epic and other systems. Yeah, and I think, you know, when we talk about the scale, it was a lot more than we just did more encounters. So, for example, a lot of people would think about telehealth or video visits as a traditional physician and a patient. And what we did in that first 30 to 45 days of the pandemic is we certainly brought up, you know, the physician and patient video visit, which we already had the capability but we brought up over 60 different use cases. So we had a group psychiatric video visit where a psychiatrist would do a group encounter. They used to do it in person. We would do physical therapists and other kinds of therapists video. And you know, it's not optimal for a PT to do that video, but it was either don't do it or do it uh, with a video because the uh, physical right. therapy offices were closed. And so it was, it was the richness of different kinds of providers. We did an oncology encounter where a patient was newly diagnosed with cancer. So we had a group of providers that would do this team encounter with a patient and their family. You know, it's a big deal when you first get a cancer diagnosis. And we figured out how to do a group-to-group video encounter. So it was the richness of 
how we did it. It wasn't just the scale that we did it at. Okay. And with, with things like devices in the hospital rooms um, or iPads, like that's something mm-hmm. that had been in place before COVID, but just hasn't been uh, used to the extent that it was. It was in place, but we had to change it. So, for example, we had iPads in every patient unit available for a patient, and um, it uses mild VH at bedside, which is my chart bedside from Epic, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't used dramatically. And when we first deployed it years ago, we had kind of a security mindset, so a patient couldn't use that for video encounters with, like, their family. It, It was just considered a lockdown device. So within a few weeks of the COVID really hitting our hospitals hard, it was obvious that the ability for the patient to use the device in in a more broad way was paramount. So we literally, we had teams work around the clock for about a week to rebuild every one of those iPads and reinstall them. And we added, I think it was five or six different ways that a patient could sit in the room, use our iPad on our nickel and any way they wanted to do a video encounter, the FaceTime that Apple provides or Zoom, whatever they wanted to do, and we would help them, we turned it on. And one of the neatest things is it was sad things, though. We had patients, and remember, families could not visit patients in the hospital mm-hmm. back then. We had patients literally say goodbye to their family because they were dying of COVID or about to be intubated on the iPad. We had a neat story where one of our first patients that survived COVID and was extubated after weeks, he literally woke up, recovered a little, and he used the iPad to connect with his family and literally tell them oh. he was still alive. I mean, this was heartbreaking. And, and beyond that, which we loved the fact that we could help patients connect with their families at this time, but we did video visits from a provider into the room. And obviously the patient had to be awake and able to interact. But it saved the, the provider back then of having to don PPE, you know, go into the room and then have to have to reuse the PPE. So we did a lot of things on the inpatient side beyond the new cameras and, and TVs at our new hospital. We've leveraged Epic in just plain video encounters over uh, iPads and inpatient rooms, too, and, and ED exam rooms alike. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, Visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.